I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to the Celtic Soul Podcast with me, Andrew Millen. You're all very welcome to episode 19. My guest on the show will be former Celtic and Dundee player, Barry Smith. This episode has been sponsored by Dyla Home Glasgow. Thanks to Susan McLeish for the continued support. Sunday, we kick off what could be a historical season. The Holy Grail, the ten in a row. We should all be looking forward to jumping on a bus, setting sail or boarding a plane from here, there and everywhere to join the thousands of Glasgow residents who follow the green and white to walk to Celtic Park to see the ninth champions flag in a row raised above Celtic Park. Due to this scourge they call COVID-19, we cannot but spare a thought for those Celtic fans who have died due to complications related to the virus and to the families who are grieving their loved ones. Wherever you are watching the game, keep safe, enjoy every kick of the ball while we wait to get back to our piece of paradise we call our seat inside the arena of legends. Those legends and icons who made history in the 60s and 70s led by Billy McNeil to the first nine in a row. Billy, a player, who became captain and then manager on two occasions. Now they build statues to honour him, a true Celtic legend, a true Celtic icon. Scott Brown may not have lifted the European Cup, but he has led this bunch of Celtic players to nine in a row, just like Billy. And now he, Neil Lennon and all the players start a journey to make their own piece of history. These may be strange times, unsure times, but this is our time to dream. Dream of being inside the stadium come the end of the season to see Scott lift the trophy up high. Let the battle begin. Let no impostors claim our history. Hail Caesar. Hail Scott. Hail Celtic. Barry Smith signed for Celtic in 1991 at the young age of 17. He would make his debut for the then manager, Liam Brady, when the club was struggling under the old board. With opportunities limited, he would depart for Dundee, where he would make a name for himself and become a bit of a legend and a Dundee Hall of Famer. Here's how I got on earlier when I chatted to Barry. 
Hi, Barry. You're very welcome to the Celtic Soul podcast. How have you found life in lockdown? Uncertain times. A lot of people talking about the future of football, careers on the line, and indeed the survival of football in the lower divisions in Scotland. Ah, it's, uh, obviously, it's been tough for everyone in lockdown, you know, and a lot of people have lost loved ones. Um, but, you know, I've been fortunate that my family's kept safe and they've, uh, you know, stayed healthy. But, you know, hopefully we're coming through the, the other side of it now and we can look forward to getting on with, you know, life as normal as we can. Your pal and fellow uh, coach, Jim Duffy. Jim had a heart attack. How's Jim doing? No, Jim's doing great now. Um, you know, still in regular contact with him. You know, he had the heart attack, but uh, he's fine now. Um, that's, I think that's maybe about four or five weeks, so he's really on the mend. <laughs> I think I spoke to him last night and he said he was actually putting up a, fr- a frame for a TV to sit in, so he's getting back to his normal self and uh, he's really looking forward to getting uh, back into the you know the season and getting the boys together uh, for pre-season. Is it going to be hard because, obviously, as a Celtic fan, we know Celtic have plenty of money coming in, they've sold all their season books. In the lower divisions, how hard is it going to be? Because obviously finances are tight and then test people for corona and basically to get them back on the playing field. Uh, thankfully, Dumbarton, you know, followed everyone. Um, even though the boys were out of contract, they, they looked after the players. And I think that's helped them in the, the, the sort of longer run and a lot of the boys want to stay uh, and repay them, uh, the club, for, you know, looking after them in the difficult times. In terms of the testing, I think it will be very difficult Dumbarton don't have their own training ground. They, they use a junior ground to train in. So to test a part-time player twice a week, someone that's out working throughout the week, I think it's going to be very tough. Uh, and there's got to have to be some sort of you know agreement that the players are doing the best they can. You know, nobody wants to go back to lockdown again. But given that we're trying to come out the other side of it, uh, hopefully they, they can relax it a touch so that you know part-time players can get back to playing. Yeah, it's funny because they won't be tested going onto a building site or going onto the, their office or whatever they do. And Dumbarton, first team I ever seen play Celtic. 1989, your old manager, Tommy Bones, played in that game. It was the first glimpse I got of Tommy. Just, I've always had good memories. We've been a few seasons since I think since we played them, but we did draw them in a couple, couple of seasons ago at home. So I hope they got a good payday out of it. <laughs> now, the Premier League kicks off the weekend. Celtic are the bookies' favourite to make history 10 in a row. Can you see Rangers or anyone else been able to stop Celtic? Short and sweet, no. Um, you know, I think it'll be tougher than any other season, given what's at stake. But I just think Celtic have been so strong. And obviously, Neil's got a good squad together again. He's looking to add to it. And I think, you know, if they get off to a good start, they'll take some catching to get to. But I think it'll be the toughest season yet, just given everything that's at stake for it. I think so as well because there's huge pressure going into every game as you know as a Celtic player but especially with history on their shoulders now. Yeah, but it's something that the players will look forward to as well. You know, what an achievement that will be you know, to get to 10 in a row. You know, a lot of the, the players that are at Celtic enjoy that pressure and, you know, thrive on it which maybe just get them over the line. Now, our rivals across the city will be second favourites in the bookies. But I think Aberdeen are going to be much improved this year because of Johnny Hayes going back to the club and if they can keep the current players together. And I was talking one or two gone. Can you see Aberdeen or any other club pushing Rangers and putting pressure on them for the Champions League spot? I think there are quite a few squads that are coming together. And I certainly think that there'll be a few up there challenging, you know, for that second spot. I just... Uh, think that Celtic will be too strong over the season 
But if you look at Hibs, get a decent squad put together, Aberdeen, um, you know, obviously Rangers have added to what they had. So I think there'll be a few teams in there. Um, Dundee United coming up, but I think in different circumstances they would have, you know, threw a wee bit of money at the, the league as well. But given the circumstances, they probably don't have that spare money, at, you know, from their American owner. But it should be a good season. And it'll certainly be interesting uh, to get into that top six for a yeah. lot of the teams. Yeah, Dundee United, a strange when manager leaves after he gets the promote to go back and manage in the, in the post division. Uh, it was a, a strange one. I don't think anyone's seen it coming. Um, but obviously, Robbie's got a lot of allegiance to Hearts and felt it was the right thing to do. Whether he can work under a sporting director, I'm not sure because uh, that might have been one of the reasons that he left. I'm not sure if that's a, you know the case, but it just seems strange to leave a team that you've got promoted and that have got aspirations of doing well in the, the Premiership uh, to go to a team that, you know, it was pretty much 100% sure that they were going to get relegated no matter what happened. Yeah, it's funny you should say they, they, you know, everyone thought they were going to get relegated and they have a few bob. The club seems to be run quite well from a business point of view. But John Hart has been on the show and he, he was saying, like, from a football point of view, they just couldn't appoint a manager to turn around, you know. And he kind of blamed Craig Levine as well. He was saying he knows the league. So I know hearts of I feel hard done by as the party Thistle, but there's not a lot of sympathy because, you know, there was plenty of time for them to get a couple of results. You can always say that in the last eight games that you're going to survive. But over the previous 28 games, or whatever it was, 30 games, did they actually look like they were going to do that? Was there any change? And I'm not sure there was. Um, the ones I really feel sorry for are Thistle to be honest because they had a game in hand uh, over the, the team that was saying bottom you know you can't say that they're going to win it but there is an opportunity to get themselves off the bottom with that one win so I found that a really tough one for them but I think over the course of the season Hearts were bottom for good spells of it so you know was that going to change nobody can say but it's where they were at the end of the season I was indeed now, we'll go back to the, the league before we finish, but uh, I'm of a vintage to remember you playing. I remember <laughs> I remember those dark, barren days following Celtic. Um, but can you give some of the younger listeners maybe just a bit of introduction to yourself, you know, your background growing up in Paisley, signing for Celtic and so forth? No, you know, it's, uh, I grew up in Paisley, um, played for some local boys' clubs, um, ended up at Barhead Boys Club for maybe four or five years um, and from there I signed for Celtic Boys Club under 16s and I was fortunate to get the opportunity to go full time after that I played for a season at Giffnock North which was a sort of feeder club at the time for in between under 16s and then the reserve team I played for a season there whilst playing the, the West Reserve team at Celtic and then after I think it was about four or five months I get asked to or get promoted into the first team uh, to play. I mean, they were short of players. I think that was maybe the only reason I get a chance <laughs> at that time. But they were going through a tough time. But for me to play, put the, the hoops on and play with Celtic was a dream for me. You know, I, I got that opportunity. Uh, I was at Falkirk, made my debut, coming on, coming on as a sub. Um, and then maybe played about four or five games at the end of that season. But it always seemed to be, you know, it was the tail end of seasons that I got a chance, uh, which was always difficult because you can do well up to the end of the season, but then come the close season, there's always new players come in and 
you know, the managers get different ideas. There was, you know, a number of changes of managers while I was there as well. But again, I felt very fortunate to put on the hoops and any time I wore them, um, you know, I wanted to make sure I gave everything that I had. And I played in two old firm games, which, you know, were the highlights of, you know, well, no, the, the, just playing in old firm games are, you know, a massive thing. Uh, unfortunately, we drew one and lost one, but, you know, to play in an old firm game, uh, was an achievement for myself, you know, so something that I'm proud of playing it. Yeah, just to put the, I suppose, the club into perspective at the time, Liam Brady was your first manager that you played under. Now, is it true that Liam was often, you know, had to play with the reserves? Yeah, yeah. Um, he actually played as a centre-back, believe it or not, in some reserve games. Uh, Liam was, you know, an unbelievable player. You know, he was an excellent player. Uh, and at the stage he was in his career, he could have played anywhere just because, you know, he was still relatively fit, but just his knowledge of the game and understanding of the game, you know, could see him play any position. So I was lucky enough to probably play in a back four alongside him. But, you know, he, he gave me my chance. He gave me my first opportunity to play in the first team. So, you know, I was delighted at that time. Yeah, Liam's time, obviously, frustrating time for everyone, fans, players, you know, with the old board there. But over here, Liam's, Liam's a, he's a hero in, in, in Irish football. What a player. And I'm lucky enough to get, we, we have a podcast over here called The Stand, which is another old football player, Eamon Dunphy presents. And Liam, Liam is on it as, as a regular. And, you know, no matter what he's calling it, it was Italian football, yeah. Irish football, the Premiership. His knowledge is just unbelievable. And when I hear people, you know, kind of downplay him when he was a sad, I guess it, was, it wasn't the, Probably wasn't the wisest move he ever made, but he's an iconic legend over here. What a footballer he was. And even even with the reserves for a young kid, it must be yeah. nice to line up beside him. Oh, I know. It was brilliant. You know, and you can, even though he wasn't a centre-back, you, you learn of, you know, his enthusiasm for the game, you know, and just his knowledge of the game on the pitch. And I always say that when I was growing up, reserve football was playing with experienced players, and that's where you learned. Um, you know, I think the kids get so much coaching now that they get overcoached and don't think for themselves. But the experienced players let you know what you were doing right and what you were doing wrong and you all had to be told once uh, and you knew either to keep doing it or not to do it again, you know. So uh, it was great to play alongside them. It's funny, Frank McAvaney was on a couple of weeks ago and he basically said that kids, you know, they're overcoached and sometimes what fits one doesn't fit all and maybe a good, you know, a good run in the park, fitness get the fitness up because he said he looks at players now and they can't do 90 minutes because the sports scientist is telling them you've done enough. That's strange coming for Frank. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's he's, he's right. You know, I do think they're overcoached. There's too much. Players don't think for themselves. They play against the same players in Scotland from the age of nine to their 16. Now, they know the players inside out, but then when they go into the senior team or they go into the first team, then... They've got to think for themselves and that's where they find it very difficult that, you know, change from academy football into first team football. I think, you know, you need to get back to letting them go out and play. But I don't think they play enough games. I know there's sports science that says they shouldn't be playing this amount of games, but it didn't do us guys any harm. You know, we were playing maybe Saturday and Monday every week, um, but you were fit and you, you were learning the game while you were playing and getting fit. So that was the ideal way ahead for me. Another player that you had the pleasure of playing with, loved training as well. So much so, Liam Brady made him live with him for six months. Paul Bourne. 
Oh, Bernie. <laughs> uh, good lad, Bernie. You know, he's one of a kind, I would like to say. You know, he's just <laughs> one, of, one of the guys. He was a, a lovable rogue, I think, you know. But, you know, I know he spent a wee bit of time in the States, I think, and, you know, he's uh, he was doing well for himself. So, no, a good guy. Uh, didn't, he, didn't he like the running? Uh, knowing that, having played behind him. Uh, um, but, he, uh, you know, he, he should have done a lot better at Celtic, you know, but everybody has. But myself should probably have done better at Celtic as well. Um, but, you know, everybody has their reasons behind why they never. Unfortunately, Paul never did as well as what he should have, like myself. Well, I had the pleasure of having to fly home with him from Thailand when we got went into lockdown. So, uh he told me a few stories. I couldn't. I couldn't repeat them. But <laughs> I'm quite sure he did. But he did. He, you know, he, he did. He loved his time at Celtic. And, and like you say, he said, you know, he could have done better. Um, but he still got the same as you. He got the line out against Rangers. He, he scored a couple of goals for most of us as fans. You know, on that hoops and, and playing a charity game. You know, and pay money to run out. That's enough for us. So count yourself so lucky. Yeah, I know. I know. Now you did say you could have done better on that, but. Maybe your time came too early because like, you certainly did well at Dundee. Was it frustrating as a young player? Because obviously when you get older and you start coaching, you, you have a lot more knowledge of the game and you have a lot more knowledge of how it works. But how frustrating was it, you know, when you get to start so young not to be in the team regularly and you're looking at other players and you're thinking, yeah, I'm as good as him or I'm better than him. Is it mentally challenging? I just think for myself, you know, being at Celtic was a massive thing anyway. And... I was, wasn't happy just being there because I wanted to play in the first team, but it was a massive thing to be signed full-time at Celtic for myself. So I probably never had as much confidence in my own ability at that stage, you know, as a young kid. And, and it, you would always wait for the next person to come in the door and take your position, uh, which, you know, given a few years down the line or when I went to Dundee, I made the position my own. And anyone that came in that was in my position, then... I was my thoughts were well. He's not taking my position away. Whereas at Celtic, it would probably was well. He's here to take my position, you know, rather than putting up a bigger fight for it. And that's probably the one thing that you know let me down there. Um, I should have had more confidence and more my my own ability uh, to say no. I'm here to stay. Um, but you know, unfortunately, that never happened, and you know, I moved on and you know, a, a good career at Dundee, which. Was probably the best move at the time for me. Know that I agreed with Tommy at the time, but Tommy knew best what was you know he, he was that Tommy was that type of guy that he knew what was best for me, and in the long term, it certainly ended up the best thing that I'd, you know had happened to me in my football career. When you started to make your name at Dundee and you started to push on in your career, I think a lot of Celtic fans they thought you know well maybe we let him go too early why did we not give him another chance because I've spoken to people because I told him you were coming on the show and they were of the view that maybe we just let him go too early or maybe we didn't give him the chance to mature but it's probably easier to do it and no disrespect to Dundee probably easier to do away from Celtic and especially as someone who grew up wanting to play with Celtic it's just the added pressure isn't it? That's very kind of you know, some <laughs> the supporters, but when it comes down to it, you get a great player in Jackie McNamara that come in, you know, just maybe a couple of months before I left. And uh, that, that's maybe, you, you know, he had a, a tremendous career at Celtic and, you know, thoroughly justified uh, Tommy Sinon at the time. So, you know, I, I don't really look back and regret anything, but you look back and think you could maybe have done better. But I don't regret what I did at the time. And I, I think the, the move to Dundee came at the right time. Obviously, Celtic get Morton Vicos as well, who 
for me, was a terrific signing for Celtic at the time as well. That's right, yeah. Martin came in as part of the deal when you, when you went the other way. Now, let's just look back at your time with Celtic. You mentioned you played against Rangers. One of them was the, was the one-all draw when none of us were allowed in, which is, I suppose, still surreal. They're not letting us back in much now either. They're only giving us a couple of tickets now, so maybe time hasn't changed that much. <laughs> yeah, we were back in the stadium. You also played against Aberdeen in the League Cup. You played under a number of managers. You know, the old board were there. And from talking to Paul, you know, he said, you know, the younger players, we just wanted to play football. We did. We, we knew there was something going on, but we weren't going out and protesting or anything like that. So then that happens. And then your Fergus McCann comes in, Tommy comes in, you're released. Did you ever think back then, you know, when you were leaving Celtic, that the impact Fergus McCann would have and Tommy and the foundations that they would build? not only the stadium, but the team, to go on and compete in the Champions League and, and, and dominate in Scotland? No, you know, if, I always remember playing in front of the jungle and there was only maybe about 2,000, 3,000 people in the jungle at the time. And, you know, to go from that to the stadium that's been built now, at that stage, the younger players were quite sheltered from it, uh, sheltered from everything that was going on. But you probably would never in your wildest dreams have imagined, you know, how big Celtic had become again you know, after a good few years in the doldrums, you know. I mean, no one knew who Fergus McCann was, but I think you get the right manager in at the time, bringing Tommy, because he knew what Celtic was about and, you know, he was Celtic through and through. And you couldn't have had a better man at the helm, you know, to guide them out into what they've become now. Tommy, unlucky not to win a league, but even when he left, you know, he'd come back. He, Tommy would have done any job in Celtic Park. He would have been <laughs> coaching, new team. He was just such an iconic figure. And taken way too early, Ben, across the road from where you made your name, when we went up to play Dundee United, the Tommy, the emotions of that that night. And I think anyone that Tommy met, be it a fan or a player or, you know, in management, I think he did leave that um, on Mr. Celtic. And, yeah. You know, so. well, I think even when he was a manager, he, he did all the jobs anyway. You know, for cleaning to coaching the kids to coaching the first team, you know, he just did everything. He just... You know, love Celtic and love being about the place, and he was a you know a ter- terrific role model for every day he was there. You know, because y- you would like to think that you had that much feeling for a club um, that he had. You know, and he just wanted Celtic to do well. Yeah, and we could go on and talk about Tommy all day. Uh, a pleasure of interviewing his son Monday, and uh, who's not into football, and <laughs> the stories he told me about Tommy dragging him to games in Barcelona, and just brilliant, like. As I said, we could talk about Tommy all day. So I want to move on to your time at Dundee. As you said, Mark and Vicos left. You arrived. You became a legend, fans' favourite, captain, manager. To go from, I suppose, being a bit power player of a to go to a place where you feel that you're really wanted and to go on and have the career you had with them is brilliant. But what was it like coming back to play against Celtic, to be in the away dressing room? It wasn't very good to get sent off. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first time we went back, I pulled Mark Burchill down after about nine, 19 minutes and get sent off. So it wasn't a great come back, but that was obviously strange. You know, your, the dressing room thing wasn't a big thing because the reserves get changed in their way dressing room anyway. So it wasn't such a big thing, but it was just going back to Celtic Park was obviously massive for myself, you know, and playing with a different team and enjoying. I mean, you don't enjoy getting beat, but the atmosphere at Celtic Park sank to none. So, you know, it was. Good, uh, a, a great stadium to get back and play in. You know, been fortunate to have, a, to have won there with Dundee as well. So, you know, it's it's always good to get back to Celtic Park. Did you play in the game where uh, 
Martin O'Neill's fourth season to the end of the season, 2 0. Yeah, Caballero, I think it was, it scored. Hey, you ruined that weekend, didn't you? No, <laughs> yeah, don't blame me. But did, did you take anything up though? No disrespect to Dundee. Shattuck is this iconic club, especially when we were growing up from the Lions right up to the centenary team and that. And then obviously it did hit a lull and then to what it is now. Did you bring anything up to Dundee when you became captain from the captains you played under or do you just have to make it your own or is there influence? I think think you've just got to make it your own. Um, The one thing for myself when I went to Dundee, a lot of boys left Celtic, you know, the reserves and didn't go and play anywhere else. And I just wanted to make sure when I went there, I went and had a good career. And, you know, I was fortunate Jim Duffy took a chance on us. He was a manager at the time at Dundee, uh, took a chance and, you know, it worked out for us. Uh, he made us captain the following season, which only being there a year, you know, was excellent for myself. Um, but you've got to put your own stamp on it. And I think anybody that's worked under me or played in the same team as me, I think they know what they're going to get, they knew what they were going to get off me. I, I, wasn't, I wouldn't say I was a shouter all the time, but... Folks sort of reacted to, you know, things that I did. Um, you know, if we were having a tough day, then we were getting our backs up and we were fighting for everything. And they knew that would come for me straight away. And so I took that into being captain and then into being a manager as well. Everybody knows what's expected of them. Now, we all know what a Celtic Rangers derby is like, how big it is. But, uh, Ramon Vega on the show on Tuesday, and he was saying, you know, like he played in the Arsenal sports game he said, but the Celtic Rangers game was just the noise and the whole build-up. And he said it was just phenomenal. But how does the Dundee derby, like, because the statements are beside each other. I'm sure if the fans drink together on that. Like, it's, it is one of the strangest local derbies because it's basically on top of each other. You know, it's as strange as it comes. We used to meet in our own stadium and walk down to, you know, the away game as such. Because uh, also it's just a, down the street, but it was just weird walking in amongst all the fans as you're going to play in a derby. Because having played at Celtic, in a Celtic Rangers derby, that would never happen. Um, so it was strange to do that. Um, the atmosphere, you know, it, it's a great atmosphere the Dundee derby, but you know, you, you can't compare it to the you know Celtic Rangers. That's just you know impossible. What I would say is winning the derby means as much to the. Dundee and Dundee United fans is what it would to a Celtic fan. It, it, it still means as much. It's just the atmosphere's maybe not as intense after the game. But I'm not saying every supporter, but a lot of the supporters will drink the same pubs and they'll go back to the same pubs and they'll certainly have a beer with each other, um, which is obviously a massive difference to you know an old firm derby. Sure is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've often wondered because there's a lad for the fans here to do at more than 90 minutes, Kieran, he'd gone to all the derbies. He he went and he'd done all the Scottish ones, he'd done English ones, he went to Argentina. He used to write a piece now, you know. He doesn't do it anymore because he's married. He's lucky if he gets to the Hispanic <laughs> Rangers derby now. But he done it and he did He did write about the Dundee one and he did say that. He said it's kind of strange seeing the, the kind of fans. I mean, he didn't mention that the, the teams walked down the road to get, I'd yeah, walked yeah. down from the stadium. I wasn't aware of that but when you think of it, it's, it's, it's logical. <laughs> but, I know you moved on, you, you, you played in Iceland then, but you've coached and managed like, throughout Scotland. You must have some knowledge, for a relatively young person, you must have some knowledge of the divisions, the players, the club setups. Yeah, the, you know, I think I'm myself in general, actually, only two of the, I'm not sure if we're the only two managers but that have uh, coached in every division, which, 
you get to know players and you get to know, you know, the, the up-and-coming players, which is always good. But, it, it, you know, I look at it and I've, you know, had success as a manager pretty much at all the clubs, apart from breaking. Success comes in different varieties, obviously, you know, whether you're winning leagues or whether you're, you know, getting promoted or you're achieving what the club set out to do. You know, I, it, it's been, you know, relatively successful for myself. And at the moment, I'm in my uh, gym as assistant manager at Dumbarton. And, you know, I'm just enjoying taking a wee step back and beginning to learn again because the majority of the jobs I've took are clubs that are, you know, fighting at the bottom end and you're, you're pretty much relying on yourself to get them out of hope. Uh, and it, it puts a, a big strain on you at times. Um, so I'm enjoying just, you know, going in and coaching and not having to deal with a lot of the other stuff that comes with the manager's job. Are you still doing anything with Tom D? I'm at the moment, uh, I'm taking under 16s at the academy. Just felt it was right to, you know, go a bit of spare time to go back to a club that, you know, I love as well and help out the academy was a good thing for myself to go back and give something back to them. Um, so I'm in there at the moment. They're obviously doing dear going through another difficult time with finances um, and they're looking to cut the academy. So it's a bit up in the air at the moment to where they're going uh, with the academy. So we'll just have to wait and see how that pans out. Is Gordon Dragons involved there now? Yeah, Gordon's, uh, I think he, he's title's technical director. Um, but he really, he, I don't think he's a lot of involvement with the first team. It's more um, coaching the coaches in the academy and, you know, trying to progress the academy in a, you know, a better direction what, what they already were going. I mean, throughout the lockdown, he's, you know, been in touch with all the coaches and, you know, he's just trying to make every, everything better and a wee bit smoother and different ideas. And a lot of the things, you know, are things that you wouldn't think of. He's brought a lot of gymnastics and karate you know, things that are going to make the players a wee bit more subtle, supple and, straight, you know, stronger, but something that's different. And not a lot of teams use that to develop the kids as well. So um, he's definitely brought, you know, something to the table, which you would expect with Gordon's experience. Maybe he could bring that karate. He could teach his old mate Neil Lennon a bit, because just in case we get hearts in the cup or something. That <laughs> <laughs> interesting. So, well, you know, anything can happen in, in, in management in Scotland. Now, as we said earlier on, right, it's tough. It's tough managing in Scotland. You know, you're after speaking there about cutting budgets and Dundee walking on, on the tight limit. As a Celtic fan, I don't, I don't really care about outside of it. Celtic's my team. I want Celtic to win. I, you know, and people say, oh, for the good of the game and that, you know, most fans want their team to win, you know. And Rangers fans will be no different, or Aberdeen fans. But as someone that's been in, you know, in the game and seen us dominate and before that Rangers, unless money comes in, the Aberdeens and, and the Dundees and the Dundee Uniteds, the Hibs and, and the Hearts, they're not going to be able to compete with, with Celtic because Celtic just now have just that financial muscle and they ain't going to give it up easy. No, definitely not. Yeah, I think because Celtic's been so successful and they've got the, the, you know, a lot of money through the Champions League and on the back of that, you, you get more sponsorship and better deals. And I mean, it's very difficult to uh, compete with it. Uh, what you've got to hope is that, you know, for the, the clubs further down the line, that, you know, they're able to build squads strong enough that they can challenge and put up a sustainable challenge. With finances being cut, it becomes more difficult at the moment from a part-time level, at, like at Dumbarton. Dumbarton can't survive. With, uh, they struggle to survive close seasons uh, where there's nobody paying through the gate 
you know, and that's only like now for about four or five weeks. But I've went um, four months this year without anyone paying through the gates and it's been a real struggle, um, you know, or I could imagine it's a real struggle for them to, you know, still have finances there that can pay for, you know, the staff that's there or, you know, anything, the bills that have to be paid. I think everybody will have to start cutting their cloth accordingly. But that's easier said than done because everybody wants to, you know, challenge for the title and get promoted. Um, but if you're then adding the other expenses or, you know, the testing and stuff like that, I think it, some clubs might think is it viable to actually run um, because it's no feasible for them to run the club un, under these circumstances, which would be a shame, you know, to lose clubs. And I think that's where, you know, without getting political, the government have to look after clubs to a certain degree and uh, not just through the furlough system, but actually when we come out of it, because the clubs still don't have any money um, coming in. And smaller businesses, not just football clubs, but smaller businesses, uh, will all be struggling um, because there's no money coming in. I think the government, but and, and it's the same in Ireland. The League of Ireland sometimes gets gets overlooked, and especially the lower divisions in Scotland. I think the government really has to, you know, we're coming out now. Hopefully, we'll come out of this safely, this coronavirus. But a lot of people are out of work, you know, and a lot of small businesses who, who would normally sponsor their local team, be it match balls or an advent in the program, they won't be able to. So but I think the government needs to realise the the part that the local football team and the big football teams, the part they play in everybody's life as a social outlet and even the kids getting out and playing grassroots football. Sometimes that gets overlooked by politicians, but they really need to step up to the plate now and start pushing, even if, if they're local councillors or MPs, and, and I know we don't want to get political, but they need to step up to the plate now because football has a huge role to play in society. Uh, definitely. It's, I mean, it's a community. It, it, it goes beyond, you know, the football club. But you're talking about if they don't allow fans back in, you think the amount of travel and support that maybe go to the local pubs or restaurants while they're there, they're all missing out in that trade um, based on the fact that there's no fans. So that trade then impacts the community, not just the football club, because the football club's not getting the money, but the trade run about the stadium and stuff like that don't get money. So it affects everybody. Uh, and that's where, you know, I think that the government's really got to look after, you know, and not just, as I say, it's not just the football clubs, it's the, the community as a whole uh, that's impacted. But football is massive in the community and most communities in Scotland, you know, the number one sport in Scotland. So it has to be looked at slightly differently from everything else. And as well as that, you know, football is, is, is a working class sport. There's amateur teams and the amount of time that people put into the teams to coach kids and even coach adults, pub teams, whatever it may be. Now, during the lockdown, this thing was muted again about Celtic and, and Rangers reserves, you know, the under-21 the under team playing in the lower divisions. Now, in theory, to me, it was a great idea because I, I, get, I get to go and see the reserves playing against men. Like I looked at Luca Collin the other day in the friendly for Hibs. He can play for the Republic of Ireland. He's been in, he was in Mick McCarthy's squad. And I just thought he was brilliant. And he'd be a player. If he's not making it in the first team, this would be great to go and see him. But then I thought Celtic do give something back to the lower teams when they give out players on loan to develop them, but also to, to help these teams. And that would be lost then. So there's no middle ground. It's either you have the reserves playing and you get a few quid now, but down the line when that money dries up, you'll not be getting any of our players to strengthen your team. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a tough one, obviously, for Celtic Rangers. 
they get their youth kids playing against men and learning against experienced pros, which is ideal for them. For the lower league clubs, they then don't get the players. I mean, I took Regan Hendry to Wraith Rovers, you know, and I know he's no longer there. Well, he's at Wraith, he's still at Wraith. Um, but he was a tremendous talent. The, the bad injury and maybe that didn't that hindered them at Celtic. But we wouldn't have got him if he was playing in the, you know, the, the Colts uh, because he would have easily have played in, you know, that team. But he would he actually, I would say, get more experience because he didn't play for four or five games and had to work himself into the team. So he then got an education that it's no, you know, all shining lights. You know, when you go to lower league teams, it's you have to work as hard as everybody else and you have to make sure that you're doing the right things. You know, for me, it's probably the best thing for Celtic Rangers that they have coached because they can get their young players together playing against experienced players and getting the feeling for playing for Celtic in stadiums. Um, but for the lower league teams, it, it's a massive loss to them because they won't be able to get these players on loan, uh, which then makes it difficult financially for them uh, because in Celtic are generally quite good with you know, how they go about loaning out players as well. Yeah, no, I've often wondered, Tommy Johnson said to me that if a kid is released by Celtic and he's been out on loan, or even if he's just come through the youth team, he said he's going to find another club because of the grounding he's had at Celtic. Now, it may not be at that level, but he will find the club and clubs will be aware of him. Like Callum McGregor, the, I think it was the Notts County, one of the finest players, you know, in Scotland and possibly the Scottish international team. So, like, there is something now, but it's one that I suppose will be debated again and again. But as it, just coming from a purely football point of view, I do think that Celtic need to, and the Rangers and the Aberdeens, that they need to give something back to the smaller clubs because if, if not, there'll be no will be no clubs, especially after this. And the government need to give as well. I'm glad you brought that up because they do need to step up. Now, as I said, season kicks off this weekend. I need a few predictions, right? Oh, yeah. I'm not a betting man. My old mates uh, from across the city, Stevie G, the wonderful Stevie G uh, and his beautiful Rangers team, will head up to Aberdeen. I want Johnny Hayes to do us a favour. And fair play to Johnny, he went up to play for nothing. There's not many footballers would have done that. No, no, certainly not. Tough one to call on the first day of the season. Um, tough place to go the first game of the season. But this season is different for any other because they've not really played a lot of games. Me personally, I think it'll be winning lost in the first 15, 20 minutes. I think if somebody gets that goal ahead, then they'll win the game. No fans in the stadium. Who does it help? I think it'll probably help Aberdeen more than it'll help Rangers. Uh, I always believe that big-time players need the fans. You know, if Rangers are going to be really throwing a challenge at Celtic, then, you know, a lot of their players might thrive on the fact that, or thrive on the fact that they should be playing in front of full crowds. Aberdeen might be used to playing in front of lesser crowds anyway, for as much as at home they normally get 14,000, 15,000, but it's no 15,000, 60,000. I think, I mean, a lot of players as well are quite fortunate they can shut off. So a lot of them don't realise the fans are there and the abuse that they're normally getting. You know, I, I was quite lucky. I, I, did, I was able to switch off, so it, it didn't matter if there was a crowd there or not. So it will definitely affect some players worse, uh, more than others. Barry, you're sitting on the fence down there. I'm gonna, I'll be happy with a draw today. I'll be very happy with a draw. Now, on paper, we've got a handy on Celtic take on Hamilton, the team that I tipped to go down every year and managed to stay up. So it's damage limitations, I think. Celtic would have, had, would have had a better pre-season, better prepared, they played better teams. And Hamilton, again, would be, they wouldn't have a huge budget. I don't know who they've brought in. I don't know if they've got a couple of players in on loan or because the transfer window seems to be so quiet. 
I think they've, I mean, they've lost a lot of players and I don't think they've brought in as many. Again, it's a tough ask on you. Celtic part in the first day of the season, Celtic using the big pitch and using it to its full value. You know, I can't see by Celtic, but I don't think it'll be a, as I say, I think big time players like fans being at the pitch and that motivates them. So I think they might find that, you know, a wee bit more difficult trying to get out of that friendly mode. And once you're, 2-0 up, you know, if you get to 2-0, can you push on to make it 3-4 or whether you there's no crowd pushing you on? So, um, you know, I think it'll be closer than what most people would think. Just I hope you're wrong, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting out for the first time with the lads. I haven't seen them since we were in Thailand in March. First time for a few points with the lads. I normally go to Glasgow. So, uh, we don't do well... <laughs> and over here the pubs aren't open we have to book a restaurant but I hope I'm not paying for a roast beef dinner for nothing <laughs> uh, Barry it's it's been lovely to chat to you it's the first time we chatted and ho- hopefully we'll have you on again because your wealth of knowledge of all of Scottish football hopefully you'll come back as I said on the podcast again or maybe you'll come when we're, it's safe to do for one of our live events come in for a chat on one of the live events and give us the wealth of your knowledge and you know yourself, the live event, you can say stuff you can't say on air. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> Barry, stay safe, pal. And as I say to everyone, hail, hail. Thanks for having us on. Thank you. Thanks to Barry for taking time out to chat to me today. It was great to look forward to the weekend's game and the season ahead with him. We are now in the testing phase of the new app and the members area, which will house all our digital editions of the fans in. And both should be up and running by mid-August. We will also produce a weekly newsletter which will drop into your inbox every week and keep you up to date with what's going on. If you like what we are doing, you can support us for the price of a point. Visit our website, CelticFansIn.com and on the homepage, you can click into the icon and donate on a one-off basis or sign up to support us on a weekly, monthly, quarterly or yearly basis. We promise no unwanted Google adverts on our website or articles and no unwanted advert interruptions on our podcast. Keeping it real and keeping it independent. Your support will help us to continue to produce quality, independent fan journalism, podcasts, video content and free live Celtic fan events. If you are not in a position to financially support us at this time, don't worry. We will still deliver the same high quality content to all fans free. Thank you for your continued support. You can also support us by clicking into CelticFansIn.com forward slash shop forward slash and buying a bit of merchandise, a fanzine, or taking out a subscription. Prices start at a fiver. As always, I'd like to thank you for listening and your continued support. And thanks to Ronan McQuill and our producer once again. The podcast is available on all platforms. Hit the subscribe or follow buttons and you will never miss an episode. Alternatively, you can visit celticfanzine.com forward slash podcasts forward slash where you will find all episodes. Please follow More Than 90 Minutes on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter where we will have offers of merchandise, a couple of competitions where you can win merchandise, subscriptions and when we're back up and running at the games we'll stick in some tickets. Thanks again to our sponsor Doyle Home Glasgow. If your business or Celtic Supporters Club would like to sponsor an episode or advertise in the fanzine or on the website, please get in contact. You can email us at info at celticfanzine.com Keep the comments coming in and let us know your story or who you would like us to chat to on the show. Well, folks, we're on staycation next week, so there'll be no podcasts, and we'll be back on Friday the 14th of August with episode 20, when there will be so much to talk about with the first couple of games out of the way. Enjoy Flag Day on Sunday. 
Let's hope we get a good performance and three points and that Aberdeen and Johnny Hayes can do us a favour and put one over the Rangers in Pataudry. Keep the faith and stay safe. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.